Take your Bible this morning, turn to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 13. Josh is leaving us tomorrow and headed back home for a couple of weeks to see his family before he goes back to school at the end of this month. And so I'm glad for his time here. And uh, my family and I are leaving town on Tuesday. I had told Josh in the first service that I had no correlation to him leaving. No, oh, Josh is gone. We can finally leave. Uh, no, we're just looking forward to getting away for a few days as a family and taking some uh, family time together before things ramp right up into the fall. And we're looking forward to that. And we are going to make a trip out to Arizona. And I know it's going to be hot, but we're going to go to a beautiful place called the Grand Canyon. And we actually are really excited. We have some tour guides that are all lined up. It's uh, Dick and Janice Connor, our missionaries to the Navajo Indians out there. And so we're going to be staying with them. And they've, been, they've lived in Arizona for many, many years. And so they're going to be our very own tour guides to the Grand Canyon. We're really excited. How many of you have been to the Grand Canyon? I'm just curious. Okay, maybe, maybe half this morning. And, and half of you haven't. I haven't been since I was, I think, about 10 years old. And so I'm looking forward to taking my kids to see it. People tell me that the Grand Canyon, and I would say this even from my memory from when I was 10, that the pictures just can't do it justice. You know, that you have to see it to really be able to appreciate the beauty and the, the grandeur and, you know, the changing of colors and changing of the seasons and all of the different things that you see when you go and visit the Grand Canyon. So I'm really excited to see that. So this week, when you're at work and doing whatever, just we'll be down there hiking in the Grand Canyon. So you can think about us while we're doing that. And we're looking forward to a great time. And I'm sure we'll come back. We're coming back next Thursday, so a little over a week. And we'll tell you all about it when we get back. But I can tell you about it, but you have to go to really appreciate it for yourself. You know, here in Acts chapter 13, we're going to look at a message this morning that Paul the Apostle preached in Antioch of Pisidia. But this message, it is, a, it is a beautiful message. It is an incredible message. And it's a message that a lot of you know, and some of you have experienced it, just like some of you have been to the Grand Canyon. And I'm going to do my best this morning to explain it, to share it in such a way that you can catch some of the grandeur and beauty of what Paul is communicating to those Jews and Gentiles there in Antioch of Pisidia. But I just want you to know this morning at the outset, before we even get into the message, if you have never experienced the power of this message, the power of the gospel in your own life, then you may hear a description this morning, but if you really want to appreciate it, you need to experience it for yourself. Because I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, listen, and I think you will here in the next few minutes. But Paul and Barnabas had been sent out, right, from the church in Antioch. We looked a few weeks ago at the anatomy of a sending church. What would cause a church to send its best people away to go serve somewhere else? And it's like, no, you stay here. There's a place for you here. And you hear that in church, right? We have a place for everybody. Well, the church at Antioch said, no, what we, your place is over there. Your place is out there. You're supposed to go and serve the Lord. And we looked at that church and why they would send Paul and Barnabas out. Last week, we looked at 
the motivation of ascending church? What, what encouraged these men as they were sharing the Word of God? And we see it's the Holy Spirit's power through the message of the gospel as they went out. And that's our motivation to go and to do what God's called us to do. This morning, I want you to see with me the message. Because here in Acts chapter 13, the rest of the chapter, almost all of it, is a sermon that Paul preached in the synagogue on two consecutive Sabbaths. One day he was preaching to predominantly Jews the following Sabbath. There were a whole bunch more Gentiles. In fact, as we'll see this morning, most of the whole city showed up to hear Paul preach this message. And I think this message is so important for us to consider. You may have heard it before, just like you may have been to the Grand Canyon before. But just like yesterday when I was at home with my kids and I found some videos online of, of drone footage and helicopter flights flying through the Grand Canyon, we found a video of two guys who hiked from the North Rim all the way to the South Rim in one day. It's a 23-mile hike. You get up at about 3 in the morning and start hiking, and you go all the way down to the bottom, and then you come up the other side. Just like we went and looked at those videos yesterday, and the kids are like, wow, that's pretty neat. They're not going to really appreciate it till we get there and see it this week. And you may have heard this message before, but I think you'll be encouraged by it again. And I hope if this is new or this is not something that you've experienced for yourself this morning, you would trust in the good news that Jesus Christ came to this earth and He died for your sin. And with Him, you can have a personal relationship with God that cleanses us from all sin and that gives us an eternal home in heaven. So let's look. Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 13. As Paul and Barnabas leave from the island of Cyprus and they travel, it says they loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga. In Pamphylia, this was uh, northwest of Cyprus. And, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. Now, I'm not going to take much time on that statement, but that's referring to John Mark, who was traveling with Paul and Barnabas, and he was their assistant. He was their helper. For whatever reason, he got discouraged. The ministry was too difficult. Maybe he didn't like some of the things that Paul did. We don't know. But for whatever reason, John Mark went back home. And we know it was not a good reason because later when Barnabas says, let's take John Mark, Paul says, no, no, I don't want to take him with us. He left us the last time. But you know what? We'll get more to John Mark later. I sure am thankful that we serve a God of second chances. You know, you may have gotten started doing something for the Lord at some point in your life, maybe made some commitments to follow Christ and been doing the right thing, but you got discouraged, you got tired, maybe things got difficult and you just stopped. Well, God's not done with John Mark. Just know that. We'll get to more of him in the coming weeks and months. But John Mark goes home. He goes back to Jerusalem, verse 14, but when they departed from Perga, they came to Antioch and Pisidia and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and sat down. And after the reading of the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent unto them saying, ye men and brethren, if ye have any word of exhortation for the people, say on. Now this was very common in that day in the synagogue. They would always read from the law. They would read from the prophets. They might 
share a psalm together. And then they would look around if there was a different rabbi or teacher there. And we know Paul was. He was a a Pharisee. He had had all the training that the rabbis had. Then they would invite them to come up and to speak and to share a word that they had. Well, Paul had a word for them that morning. And that word was the message of the gospel. And so Paul says to them in verse 16, he stood up and he beckoned with his hand and said, Men of Israel... And ye that fear God, give audience. That's my invitation to you this morning. Give audience. Listen up. Pay attention because this message is for each and every one of us this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer before we get into this message. It's so important. We need God's help as we get into it. Lord, help us now. As we're going to do a lot of reading, Help us not just to see words on a page, but to hear the glorious message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's somebody here today that doesn't know you, that's never trusted you, they may have heard this before, but I pray that today would be the day that they trust in you as their Savior. Lord, I pray for the Christian here this morning that does know you, that has trusted in you, but they are just struggling. They're hurting this morning. May their eyes be refocused on what you have done for them. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Paul stands up. He says, listen, I have a message for you this morning. Would you listen now as I read to you quite a few verses. Don't let your mind wander. I'll come back and explain some of the things if you find it difficult. You can read along in your Bible. You can follow along on the screen behind me. But would you listen to this message this morning that Paul preached in Antioch of Pisidia? The God of this people of Israel chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an high arm brought he them out of it. And about the time of forty years suffered he their manners in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he divided their land to them by lot. And after that he gave unto them judges about the space of four hundred and fifty years until Samuel the prophet. And afterward, they desired a king. And God gave unto them Saul, the son of Kish, or Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, by the space of 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Of this man's seed hath God, according to his promise, raised unto Israel a Savior, Jesus. When John had first preached before his coming the baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel, 
And as John fulfilled his course, he said, Whom think ye that I am? I am not he. But behold, there cometh one after me whose shoes of his feet I am not worthy to loose. Men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feareth God, to you is this word of salvation sent. For they that dwell at Jerusalem and their rulers, because they knew Him not, nor yet the voices of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath day, they have fulfilled them in condemning Him. And though they found no cause of death in Him, yet desired they Pilate that He should be slain. And when they had fulfilled all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a sepulcher. But God raised him from the dead. That's the best verse in this whole chapter. But God raised him from the dead. And when he was seen many days of them, which came up with them from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are his witnesses unto the people, and we declare unto you glad tidings, how that the promise which was made unto the fathers, God hath fulfilled the same unto us their children, and that he hath raised up Jesus again, as it is also written in the second psalm, Thou art my son this day. Have I begotten thee? And as concerning that he raised him up from the dead, now no more to return to corruption, he said on this wise, I will give you the sure mercies of David. Wherefore he saith also in another psalm, Thou shalt not suffer thine holy one to see corruption. For David, after he had served his own generation by the will of God, he fell asleep. He was laid unto his fathers and saw corruption. But he whom God raised again, saw no corruption. Be it known unto you, therefore, men and brethren, that through this man is preached unto you the forgiveness of sins, and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which ye could not be justified by the law of Moses. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you which is spoken of in the prophets. Behold, ye despisers and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which she shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. And that was the end of his sermon. What a message. Now I want you to look with me back at this message this morning that Paul preached. Because... The thing that jumped out to me, I think, more than anything else in this sermon. Yes, it's the story of Israel's history. Yes, it's the story of God as He brings the gospel to this world through the person of Jesus Christ. What jumped out at me in this story was God and all the things that He did. In fact, the story starts out, notice back again in verse number 17, the God of this people of Israel 
chose our fathers. If you'll go through and begin to highlight or underline or mark down all the things that God did in this process, you will see the incredible message of the gospel is a work of God. Some people think, well, I could do good things and that'll give me a good relationship with God. Hey, I'm a nice person. I don't beat my wife. You know, I don't do horrible things like some of these other people do. My friend, this morning, that's not your hope. The hope of the gospel is through Jesus Christ because it is not your work. It is a work of God. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to His mercy that He saved us. Your salvation this morning is not secure because of all the good things you've done or how many times you've come to church. The gospel is good because God is good because God did the work to bring it to you. Paul rehearses in this message how God worked to bring the gospel to this world. And specifically, he starts out by bringing the gospel to the Jews. I want you to just think this morning as I quickly go through this list of things that God did, I want you to think in your own mind about what God has done to bring the gospel to you. Who's the first person that ever told you about Jesus? How did they find out about Jesus? Who shared with you the hope of the gospel through Jesus Christ? You say, well, it wasn't just one person. It was a whole bunch of people. To be honest, I didn't get, I didn't trust Jesus the first time I heard about it. It took a lot of years and a lot of different people. And wow, if it hadn't been for God, I, I really wouldn't be here at all. In fact, I don't know where I'd be. Let's look back at all the things that God did. We see that God chose a people. He, he, he looked down and He said, I want to use this nation Israel for a specific plan. I want my Savior, I want my Son to come through the nation of Israel. God didn't choose Israel because they were a powerful nation. Because God chose them before they were anything. It was just Abraham. He says, Abraham, I'm going to make a nation out of you. And, and this nation, through your seed, through your descendants, all the nations of the world will be blessed. Why would God do something like that? Was it to glorify Abraham? No, it was to glorify God. But the Jews, they'd kind of forgotten over the years. They were more excited about glorifying Abraham, talking about themselves as the sons of Abraham and feeling good because they were descended from Abraham than realizing that the only reason Abraham was anything was because God did a work in Abraham's life. What has God done to bring the gospel to you? God chose a people. We see God delivered His people. He delivered them out of slavery and bondage in Egypt. You know, isn't it incredible to think that possibly as many as 2 million People packed up and moved out of Egypt all in a short, just in a couple days period of time. God led them out into the wilderness. They get to the Red Sea. The entire Egyptian army, the most powerful army in the world at that time, is right on their heels. The Red Sea's in front of them, armies behind them, and God just splits that sea wide open and they walk through, not on muddy ground, 
No, God made sure it was dry ground. God is incredible. You know, the children of Israel, as they got out there and walked through the Red Sea, they got to the other side, they built that tower of stones to remind themselves of what God had done, and they quickly forgot because they got out in the wilderness, and what's the next thing you read about them doing? Building an idol out of gold because this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And you know, it's referenced here when it says how God was patient with His people. Look at verse 18. It says, About the time of 40 years suffered He their manners in the wilderness. Aren't you th so thankful that in God's work to bring the gospel to you, God has been patient with you? God is so long-suffering, isn't He? He's long-suffering to us word. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I'm so thankful that God's patient with me. So you're the pastor. Yeah. I need God's patience. But by the grace of God, because the wages of sin is death, we should all be separated from Him burning in hell right now. You know why you're not? Because God is patient. God is patient. I like how the Bible says that there, He suffered their manners in the wilderness. They didn't have very good manners in the wilderness, did they? They murmured, they complained. God, you brought us out here to die in the wilderness. We don't have any water. We don't have any food. God, why do you always leave us and forsake us? Oh, before we make fun of the children of Israel, how often we do the same. God, you brought me out here. God, you've left me alone. God, my life's so hard. God, I don't know why you've allowed all these things. God, what are we going to do about the pandemic? God, what are we going to do about our country? God, what are we going to do about this? What are we going to do about that? Lord, what are you doing? God, I just don't know what's going on. We complain and we complain. I'm so thankful that God is long-suffering even when our manners aren't very good towards Him. My friend, we ought to be so thankful to Him. So thankful. But so often we're not. There's a great message of the gospel. Look at what God has done. God chose a people. He delivered His people. He was patient with His people. Oh, He provided for His people. He mentions next how they go into the land of Canaan, how God destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, and God divided their land to them by lot. God provided a place for His people. Have you ever stopped long enough to say, what did God do to provide for me so that I could sit right where I'm at this morning? I walked in here yesterday, and I know this is a little thing, but I, I really, I got tears in my eyes. I looked around, I said, you know, God, you've been so good to us as I looked at the beehive of activity of people cleaning up and tearing down and all the work that had happened this week and said, you know, we even have comfortable chairs to sit on this morning. We have a, a clean room to sit in this morning. We have air conditioners that work this morning. We got in a car and drove here this morning. Some people couldn't be here this morning and they're watching us online right now. We're glad that they can join us this morning too. It's only by the grace of God that these things are possible. There are so many people around the world that don't have this kind of goodness and yet God's been good to them too. God is so faithful. God provides for His people. We see how God led His people. 
He gave them leaders like Moses and Joshua. He mentions the judges all the way up for 450 years until Samuel. Sometimes as we're reading Israel's history, we jump right ahead to King Saul and King David. There was 450 years when they were led by judges. That's a long time. Our country's not even 250 years old. 450 years. God gave them leaders, and then when they complained about their leadership and said, we want a king, we want to be like the other nations, and God, God was their king, but they didn't really want to follow God. They wanted to follow a man, and God gave them a king. God put up a king, Saul, but then the, Paul's message is very clear. God removed Saul. You see, we live in a world where sometimes we like our leaders, sometimes we don't like our leaders, God puts up leaders and He puts them down because the only one who's truly in charge is God. There's a lot of people running around doing a lot of things, getting busy, a lot of people messing with stuff that they probably shouldn't be involved in, causing problems, doing all these things. And we can look at that and be frustrated and be angry and say, God, what are you doing? God's in charge of it all. God led His people through all of the good leaders and the bad leaders, through all of the good kings and all of the wicked kings, God led His people. God provided for His people. God was doing His work to bring the message of the gospel to the world. And He used good kings and He used bad kings. He used comfortable times of provision and He used times of lack and want. He used times of plenty and He used times of famine. God did His work. Oh, if you even just take in your Bible here in these verses and underline every single thing that God did, you almost have to underline all of the verses because it's all about God and what He has done to bring His gospel to us. God led His people. Oh, but it didn't stop there. Paul pointed out how God sent a Savior to His people through Jesus Christ, through the line of David. And then he says, not only did He send a Savior, God resurrected that Savior. We read in verse 30, but God raised Him. From the dead. You know something that's really interesting about this message? Paul is not saying anything to this Jewish audience that they shouldn't have already known. All he's doing with them is rehearsing back to them their own history. You know, the scripture tells us in Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. You see, God has made it possible for you and me to know the message of the gospel. Here's the truth. You are without excuse this morning. You have every opportunity to hear the truth. God has given us His Word. God has given you a place even this morning to hear the message of the gospel. For many of you, you've heard this a thousand times over. You are without excuse. Well, I just don't like some of those people at the church. That's not what this is about. This is about you and God. 
I'm discouraged by all the hypocrisy I see. Yeah, I am too. But this is between you and God. See, this Jewish audience was without excuse. In fact, to make it even more clear that they were without excuse, Paul starts quoting to them from the Old Testament. And maybe some of you, there might be a Bible scholar in here that could correct me on this, but I think, as far as I know, this is the only place that I've seen where when the New Testament quotes from the Old Testament, he actually gives the reference. Psalm 2. This really tells us that, that how, how inspired the Scripture is, doesn't it? How, how Saul even refers back to because Because see, not all the chapters have been there all along, but see, the Psalms, it, it was a group of different Psalms. So you had Psalm 1 and Psalm 2 and Psalm 3. That's been around since, since the Psalms were written. And so here he refers back. Oh, by the way, back in Psalm 2, he quotes from Psalm 2, verse 7, which says, I will declare the decree, the Lord has sent unto me, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. Paul's pointing out, God was going to send His only begotten Son. His name, Jesus. And then Paul goes over to Isaiah chapter 55 and verse 3. He says, Incline your ear and come unto me. Here and your soul shall live, and I will make an everlasting covenant with you, even the sure mercies of David. If you're looking at Acts chapter 13, you can see these quotations in verse number 30, I'm sorry, verse number 33 and 34, and also in verse number 35. In verse 35, he says, Thou shalt not suffer the Holy One to see corruption. He's quoting from Psalm 16 and verse 10. For thou wilt not lead my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Now think about this. You've got to put yourself in a Jewish mindset this morning. David wrote this psalm. Thou wilt not lead my soul in hell, thou wilt not suffer thy holy one to see corruption. So as the Jews heard that, they're thinking, oh, David's just talking about him, him going and being with God. Paul's pointing out that this had more to do with Jesus than it did with David. Because Paul points out, he says, in the next verse, he said, now David did die, and his body was put in the ground, and it was corrupted. In other words, it was rotten. When somebody gets buried and they go in the ground, the body wastes away. But he's pointing out there was one person who, was, who died, and he was buried, but his body didn't waste away. His name was Jesus, because three days later, he came out of that grave. He arose. You see, this message of the gospel had been right in front of these people the whole entire time. And they missed it. In fact, when that Jesus came, the one who fulfilled every prophecy, and Paul points that out in this message, when he came, the one who fulfilled every prophecy, the one who was doing every miracle that had been prophesied, the one who preached the word of God without error, they took him and they crucified him. And Paul points out, oh, by the way, that was prophesied too. God has done such an incredible work to bring us the gospel. He's moved nations around. 
He's dealt with all kinds of wickedness. Horrific idolatry. You know the children of Israel got caught up in idolatry so many times, worshiping Baal, even worshiping Molech. You know what they did with Molech? They would take their babies and they would sacrifice them to the king. We live in a country today that is sacrificing its babies. Oh, it's awful. It is. You know what our country needs? The same thing that Israel needed. They need Jesus. Say, how could God work even in a country where they would do such wicked things? How could God work when the people continued to turn against God? How could God work even when they were carried off into captivity? And it was like the country was wiped out. God is God. He can do whatever He pleases. He has all power. We learned about that this week in VBS. He knows all things. He's omniscient. And He's everywhere present. Your problem didn't catch God by surprise. Your struggle is not a problem for God. There was a big problem really early in Israel's history. This was, in fact before even the first person that was born into the nation of Israel. The first person born into the nation of Israel was a man by the name of Isaac. But there was a reason that that would never happen, humanly speaking. Because Isaac's parents were ancient. His mother was 90 years old when she gave birth to him. His father was... A hundred. And when God told Abraham that he would make, uh, uh, give him a son and that he would ha have a line, that he'd have a people, Sarah laughed. <laughs> but what was the answer? It was an answer with a question. Is anything too hard for God? You see, there's no human problem, there's no spiritual problem, there's no physical problem, there's no problem in nature that is too hard for God. God has done His work to make sure that you could know the hope of the gospel. What a glorious message. Now, my friend, in one sense, it's, it's like telling you about the Grand Canyon. I can tell you all about it. It's a beautiful place. It's amazing. But you can't really appreciate it unless you experience it for yourself. Yes, God has done a great work to bring the gospel to you, but the gospel does you no good if you won't trust in the Lord. Because see, there are people today, just like there were people in Paul's day, who rejected the message of the gospel. The rejection of the gospel. How could anybody reject such a great message? How could anybody deny the work of God and the love of God? Look at verse number 40. Paul gives a warning. He says, beware. Beware, therefore, lest that come upon you 
which is spoken of in the prophets. And he's going to quote again here from an Old Testament prophet, the prophet Habakkuk. Verse verse 5 of chapter 1 in Habakkuk, and he quotes and he says, Behold, ye despisers and wonder and perish, for I work a work in your days, a work which she shall in no wise believe, though a man declare it unto you. Paul was standing up in front of these Jews in the synagogue that day and he's giving them the message of the gospel. Look what God has done. How could you not trust in this message? He says, but be careful, beware. Because I'm doing a work in your day, but even if someone were to declare it, to tell you all about it, some of you will still reject it. My friend, this morning, don't let that be you. Don't leave this place and say, well, I know I've heard it. Yeah, it sounds good, but it's just not for me today. I'm not sure I need it today. I, maybe someday, but not today. Paul says, beware. Beware. Watch out. You see, there's a rejection of the gospel here, and we see these Jews as they rejected him. It says in verse 42, And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Paul, this is amazing. Would you preach to us what you just preached to them? And now when the congregation was broken up, many of the Jews and religious proselytes followed Paul. They were interested. Paul, You see, Paul taught a great message. Paul knew their history. Paul explained things in a way that made sense. And Paul and Barnabas spoke to them, it says, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Paul and Barnabas wanted these people to understand, you can't just follow us and that be okay. Yeah, you may come to us because we give great teaching, but you need to continue in the grace of God. Ephesians 2 and verse 8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith. You see, it's not just following a good teacher that gets you to God. It's not just coming to church that gets you to God. It's not just doing good things that gets you to God. You must be saved by grace through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, not of works, lest any man should boast. There's a lot of people throughout history, even people to this day, well, I go to so-and-so's church. Who cares? Going to that person's church won't get you to God. Well, I did this this week. Great. Beware. Beware. Don't trust in your own good works. Don't trust in who you hang around with or who you listen to. Trust in Jesus. He is your hope of salvation. Notice what happened though. Verse 44, And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. The message spread. People brought their friends. The Jews came. The Gentiles came. Everybody came. The message is for everyone. But notice what happened. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and spake against those things which were spoken by Paul, contradicting and blaspheming. Now, when Paul preached his message, was he saying anything new? No. 
He was just quoting from the Old Testament and sharing from their own history. Why were the Jews contradicting their own history, their own Bible that they claimed to understand? It's because they were full of envy. They were jealous. They didn't want the Gentiles to have any part in what God had done for them. Because, see, these Jews that were envious, they had not fully experienced the power of the gospel in their own lives. They were proud of their history. They were proud of their background. They were proud of the miracles that God had done in their past. But they didn't want to admit that they needed a Savior too. Because when you and I admit we're a Savior, we need a Savior, it puts us on the same level as everybody else. A lot of people walk around, well, I'm better than so on. I've never said something like that. I've never done that. I've always been kind to others. I believe that, you know, everybody is good and that we should love everybody. And people just really hold themselves up to this high, you know, stature or standard that they've made up for themselves that now puts them at a higher level than everybody else. It doesn't do you any good. It's just pride manifesting itself in another way. See, if we're going to get right with God, if you're going to be right with God, you need to humble yourself this morning. Don't be proud or envious of somebody else. They were so proud they began to contradict and blaspheme what Paul had said. I would look at this message that Paul preached. I say, how do you argue with this if you're a Jew? Because all he is is presenting the Scripture that you claim to believe and claim to follow. Pride gets us to do all kinds of horrible things, doesn't it? When we start to feel like we're better than other people. Because of their pride, they rejected the gospel. They began to contradict and blaspheme. So Paul and Barnabas waxed bold. And they said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. But seeing ye have put it from you and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. That's a bold statement. Hey, you Jews, you're going to contradict this. This is the truth of God's word. We're just God's messenger. And since you've contradicted, we're taking the message to yeah. the Gentiles. Listen, when you share the message of the gospel, there are going to be people that don't want to hear it. There be people that reject it. Go and share it with somebody else. And they didn't want to hear. I just don't know. Nobody cares anymore. Go find somebody else because there are people that God's working on that do want to know the message of the gospel. I just talked with somebody this week. They said, yeah, our church isn't going to go forward because these people don't want to hear the good news anymore. Nobody. I said, well, how many people have you shared the gospel with? Nobody. But I just don't think that people really want to hear Listen, it's not your job to save people. It's your job to share the message. In fact, you'll see it in just a few verses. Paul and Barnabas get kicked out of Antioch and Pisidia. So they shake the dust off their feet and go on to the next place, rejoicing in the Lord because of all the people that trusted in the Lord. There are a lot of things that can get you discouraged in this world. You can look around, all the people that don't believe, all the people that are going in a different direction, all the churches in decline, all the people that are struggling... Or you can just go out and share the gospel with somebody else and be encouraged at the work of God. I had a conversation with Brother Donnie yesterday. We, 
we talked for almost two hours just helping him through some of the things that he's working on there at the church that he's now pastoring. And he was telling me this struggle and that struggle. I said, you know, Donnie, that struggle sure is a blessing. And he said, why? I said, you know, six months ago there were six people in the church and they were ready to close their doors. Praise God you even have some people to have some struggle with. He said, if God hadn't sent you there, that church would be gone by now. That's good. And he's faithful. And Donnie goes, you know, you're right. We just need to keep our eyes focused on the Lord and keep sharing the message of Jesus Christ. Because the struggle is real. It's all around us. It's inside of us. We deal with it all the time. It's hard. But the reason it's hard is because God's working. The reason it's hard is because God's working to transform you and to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. And that's a painful process because we're sinners and we like our sin. God says, no, I'm going to change you. I'm going to do this in you. I'm going to allow this in your life. I know this is going to be hard. I know this is going to be difficult. That person in your life said, what, all that sandpaper? Well, it's because you're so rough and you need to be smoothed out. It's good. It's painful, but it's good. It's good. You see, the gospel was rejected because of pride and envy, but there were people that believed the gospel. That's our third and final point, the belief of the gospel. You see, when Paul and Barnabas made that bold statement saying, we're going to turn to the Gentiles. He says in verse 47, For so hath the Lord commanded us, saying, I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldest be for salvation unto the ends of the earth. I love this here in verse number 47, because remember the Jews are contradicting and blaspheming against his message, and his message was literally just the Old Testament Bible that they believed anyway. So just to show them once again, Paul quotes from the Old Testament again to show them that God had promised that there would be a light to the Gentiles. They're envious of the Gentiles receiving the gospel, and Paul says, that was God's plan all along. Isaiah 49 and verse 6, And he said, It is a light thing that thou shouldest be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved of Israel. I will also give thee for a light to the Gentiles that thou mayest be my salvation unto the end of the earth. Remember what Jesus said in Acts 1.8, that ye shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and all Samaria, and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Isaiah 49, verse 6, said that my salvation be unto the end of the earth. It was God's plan all along. Why are you so jealous and envious of other people? God's plan was to get the gospel to every person to the end of the earth. So don't get discouraged when somebody doesn't listen or respond. God's just using that to send you on to someone else so that they can have an opportunity to hear the truth. You see, when Paul was the light to the Gentiles. And we'll see this throughout the rest of the book of Acts, how he'll go to a city, he'll preach in a synagogue. Pretty soon the Jews reject him, and so he preaches to the Gentiles. This, this story is repeated over and over throughout the book of Acts. And it says, And when the Gentiles heard this, verse 48, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord. And as many as were ordained to eternal life, believed. 
Praise God for saving faith. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The gospel, yes, as Romans 10 tells us, it was to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. Romans 1 and verse 16, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And he says they believe, verse 49, and the word of the Lord was published throughout all the region. See what happened? As they believed, God's word went out. Everybody that you share the gospel with won't believe, but if you will continue to share the gospel and be faithful, God will use those who do believe to take the gospel out further than you could go by yourself. It doesn't say Paul and Barnabas went to the whole region. It was the word of mouth. This person got saved and then they started growing the Lord and they, they told somebody else who told somebody else who told somebody else. Think about it. If it was my job to lead everybody to Christ who came here to church, our church would be really small. Like five people. But if we all do our job, the word of the Lord can go out to the whole region. Does it mean everybody in the region will be saved? No. Some will reject. But at least they'll be without excuse. They'll have had an opportunity to hear. And it says in verse 50, But the Jews, they stirred up the devout and honorable women. Oh yeah, those honorable women. <laughs> and the chief men of the city. Oh yeah, those guys too. And raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them out of their coasts. But they shook off the dust of their feet against them and came into Iconium. God was just sending them on to the next place. But isn't it interesting, even when God sent Paul and Barnabas on, the gospel still stayed in Antioch of Pisidia as people continued to share the good news in the region. If you'll be faithful to share the gospel where God puts you right now, someday God may move you somewhere else. But if you haven't been faithful to share the gospel here right now, when you leave, is there going to be any gospel that you leave behind? Or will it just be forgotten? They left, and the Bible says in verse 52, and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Ghost. There's great joy in serving Jesus, isn't there? Great joy in the message the work of the gospel. This morning, if you're here and you've only just been a hearer of the message of the gospel, I would invite you to be a believer in the gospel this morning. If you'll call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. But to call upon the name of the Lord means to admit that you're a sinner. You can't save yourself. It's not God plus something. I'm a pretty good person, and I'll add a little God on top just to know. It's God plus nothing because it's His work. He saves. His Son, Jesus, God in, in the human flesh, died for your sin. Don't reject that message this morning. In just a minute, we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes, and I'm going to invite you to just get up out of your chair, come down here, and I'll get somebody who can take the Word of God and make sure that you know from the Bible how to be saved. 
how to have this relationship with God. Would you trust in Him today? It'll be as simple as that. I'll have everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed. Nobody's looking around. And they can come. And Christian, you may be here this morning and you've been discouraged and frustrated about the situation you're in. I want to encourage you to look back at what God did to get the gospel to you. I got saved as a four-year-old boy in my mom's bedroom one morning. It's almost 34 years ago now. It's a long time. My mom got saved as a ninth grader in high school as her mother put her in a Christian school to get her out of some of the influence in the public school, not because my grandmother knew the Lord, just wanted to get her away from some of the craziness. And a, and a young man, a senior in high school, stood up and preached the gospel. And she heard the gospel and got saved. And I'm sure I, if I knew the story, we could trace it back, how somebody gave the gospel to that young man. And how it just would go on and on and on, all the way back to the Bible time. It would go all the way back to what God was doing from the beginning of time so that the gospel could get to me. And maybe this morning, God would use me, His Word, the Holy Spirit, to make sure the gospel got to you. Would you trust in Him today? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, You know the hearts. You know the needs. There are a lot of things that are distracting and hurtful and hard in life, but Lord, when we strip all that away, we realize you are the hope. You are the answer. You are our Savior. You are God. Pray this morning, Lord, if there's somebody, several, that don't know you as Savior. They, they may have professed it, but really knew in their own heart they had not trusted you. Pray that today they would heed the warning of Paul, not to turn away from the truth, but to receive it. Work in our hearts now. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.